Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that thinks the world is considerably better with you in it. On today's show, we're going to be looking at a whole smorgasbord of subjects, ranging from cities hosting of the Blades this Saturday to football fatigue. There's even going to be a brief mention of Brexit, so be forewarned. And with such a variety of topics to delve into, we felt it was only right to bring in our resident polymaths, men who are so academically versatile, they make Steve Fry look like Steve McManaman. It's Adam <laughs> Keyworth and Jordan Elgott. You right, Adam? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, this is the first time I've been on the pod in a while where we don't have too much to moan about. So don't know how this is going to go. Well, yeah, you, you've become kind of our uh, go-to moaner. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you usually bring me on after we've lost three games in a row or after something's been cancelled or... Yeah, so so this is going to be fun. So it's an upbeat Adam today? No, I've... I've I'm not too sure about that. It's, <laughs> it's the weekend, so maybe. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, are you feeling particularly upbeat today? Yeah, mate. Um, especially after that intro. Very, very kind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's happy days at the moment for us, isn't it? But yeah. always wary of what's around the corner in the current time. Well, yeah, it's blue skies at the moment and uh, no clouds on the horizon. So let's hope that Sheffield United are not one such cloud. Um, before we get to them... Um, and I can very much imagine them being that kind of team, to be honest, but we'll get to that. I just want to have a quick chat on Ed and Dzeko, um not returning uh, and that brief hope we had for a couple of days that he would. Um, Adam, did you ever think it was likely? No, never. Um, <laughs> I, I put all my eggs in the basket as well. I was I was so in on it, but it, was, it would have been uh, a very much heart overhead signing where it would have been lovely. Um, just to have him back and have that other option. But if let's be honest, I don't think he's uh, a Guardiola signing and he doesn't fit kind of the criteria that we'd go after anyway. So yeah. it would it would have been lovely, but it was never going to happen, was it? That, that was my take on it. I, I think a lot of it makes sense. And yet what it ultimately comes down to is you need six months to adapt to being a Pep Guardiola player. And so what's the point in bringing someone in on six months? Particularly that old kind of old dogs, new tricks kind of, um, ethos. Jordan, would it have made sense? Well, I unfortunately allowed myself to believe, so I've woken up in not oh, a great man. mood in that yeah. respect. Um, I think it would have, and I understand what Adam's saying, um, and he's not a Guardiola signing, but then again, the guy that most of us want this summer to be our new leading <laughs> goal scorer is, you know, six foot four, um, and about 14 years younger than Jekko, but there are similarities there. Um, So I I think it would have made sense, especially when our current striker couldn't hit a barn door. Um, And he would have been a useful option off the bench because let's be honest, there are going to be times in the uh, last five, six months of the season where we unfortunately start clipping it into the box to our small strikers mm. against six foot plus defenders. And it would have been nice to have a different option. And I, I've maintained that for, you know, for the last 18 months that I wouldn't mind someone like a Giroud off the bench at some point um, when we need it. But, you know, it, it was always going to be too good to be true. And I, I have also seen a report linking, uh, linking Gabriel Jesus going to Roma the other way. And let's be honest, although he's not playing well, no. there, there should be another 60 million 
coming yeah. our way if that was Jesus if that was the case um that wouldn't have made any sense but yeah i allowed myself to believe a little bit because of the nostalgia factor and i would have liked to have that additional option but yeah I, one of them that's just it's just not very city is it i think it's the age more than anything yeah but i, I would think... have taken him for six months whether yeah, he would have done that yeah. but I, I just imagine that he probably thought as well his playing time would have been pretty limited and he's he, he could go and walk into many other teams, even in the Premier League, where mm. he'd start every week. So That's true. And he, he was mind. linked with Juventus, wasn't he, at the start yeah. of the season? He's yeah. got West Ham written all over him, hasn't he? Oh, it's just that, yeah, that, I'd I'd hate, that'd be a really good signing for them. little enlarged with Antonio up front, potentially. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. like that. No, same here. I mean, there was a spell at City for a good three quarters of a season where he was a super sub. You know, I, the, I, I stand by if he wasn't sandwiched between Aguero and Tevez, who are two of our best strikers of well, probably the last 30 years, maybe even further, people would think of him in a higher regard. Mm. But he was unfortunately between those two players who were fan favourites. And now you look back on Jekyll and think, Christ, what, what a player we had mm. and, and the option he gave us. Remember when we were playing two up top at one point with him? Yeah. yeah, the nostalgia's there, but <laughs> I think I think people also well. do forget because of that nostalgia, though, that a lot of us found him very infuriating oh, at yeah. times. But, like, he end, did definitely. he did have his faults, but no, I, I think he genuinely loves the club as well. Like I remember, yeah. uh, I remember he posted uh, a video on Instagram a while back. Uh, I think it was Oktoberfest in uh, in Munich, and he was there singing along to "Hey Jude," but we're obviously replacing the words with "City." Um, <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, it, it, I think that sort of stuff as well just makes us warm to him even more. You know what, what struck me about this conversation as well is um, when you said, Adam, about remember when we played two up front, uh, and I thought, God, yeah, that in itself is nostalgic these days. <laughs> just a team playing two up front actually makes me feel a bit nostalgic. Such, so so much has football changed recently. Um, okay, let's move on to Saturday's game, three o'clock kickoff, which is a rarity uh, in itself. Team predictions, let's start with the hardest uh, aspect of this because it's always difficult, but with the games coming thick and fast, it's even more so. Um, Jordan, who do you see kind of... Is the defence kind of quite clear-cut, do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the whole team is clear-cut. Right, OK. I, I think it doesn't change. Right. I, I think, you, you know, you keep the same team as, as the West Brom win. It's not been uh, that long, but it's also not that soon after I think it's four days that it'll be when yeah. the game actually takes place um, and I, I don't think you change a winning team like that not um, not that Pep necessarily yeah. shares that view um, but I, I think that's our best team at the moment as well I, oh, I'm with you I think I'm with you Jordan but I do think that um, I do think that we might see a Fernandinho mm. in there and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Walker get a game yeah, uh, just just wary of legs, but I think, like you say, four days at this moment in time is a long time. But also, that West Brom game wasn't difficult. The I know that we we flattened them in the first half, but the the whole team just seemed to say, right, let's just save energy now. It it was yeah, another one of those. Good, good- yeah, he took Gundogan and Ferdinand off after 51 minutes, Yeah, uh, unfortunately for my fancy team, but great for City <laughs> because uh wrapped them in cotton wool. Um yeah, I, t- I totally agree, Adam. I, I think the, the one thing with Fernandinho is that I, I, people will know I am a regular criti- critic of Rodri 
And I think he's really coming into his own and I don't really want him to to have that rest. I want him to keep playing and getting better and better. But I mean, obviously it makes sense in terms of um, giving him a bit of a rest if needed. Can I just ask quickly, Jordan, about uh, Rodri? Because I'm, I'm with you, actually. I, I was quite critical of him and I've, I'm coming round now. Um, could it be said that with the more... Instead of it being kind of, you know, double pivot in midfield, and I know I'm simplifying things here, but instead of it being a double pivot, now it tends to be where it's a lot of rotation going on. So basically, Cancelo might kind of go in there, then Gundo might come back, and that creates more... He's got just as much protection alongside him, Rodri, but it's more space for him to move around in. Is that a factor? Potentially. I think Zinchenko as well has been a big factor in it as well. I think we genuinely play a lot better when we've got Zinchenko on the left side. Um, I think he offers a lot. And while he does have his shortcomings and he doesn't have that recovery pace like Walker would, for example, um, I I think the fact that the way we're playing at the moment with Cancelo and Zinchenko inverted, or that Cancelo just pops up wherever he wants and does a brilliant job of it, um, it can at times, you know, when, when we lose the ball... Um, the positioning of the fullbacks is in a sort of three-man midfield, in a sense, with Rodri. So that gives him more protection. But I, I, I always thought the main problem with Rodri was how he started games, because he'd, he'd seem to just start games like he'd been on a night out the night before. And it, it <laughs> was the reason why I'd criticise him on Twitter mostly was because he'd start so badly that I felt like I couldn't not say anything about him. And then he'd end up having an all right game for the rest of... Uh, for the rest of it, and I felt a little bit bad. I mean, the biggest example for that, and probably the turning point for me in his City career so far, was the Southampton game, in which he started horrifically. Like, he, he started really badly, and I remember a lot of people criticising him. And by the end, I'd actually tweeted saying, I don't think we would have won that game had Rodri not sorted himself out and actually turned in a very decent performance. So I, I think he's just finally getting to grips with it. I, I think as well, there is... There are certain games where I don't think he should play. Uh, very few at the minute, like like you say, Jordan. I think he's he's found his feet a little bit, but it's where we get turned in midfield and it just kind of passes him by. Mm. Uh, I'm thinking Spurs uh, and I'm almost thinking Liverpool as well, where they've got that dynamism where if if someone plays on the break and they've got the players to actually do it, I don't mean the, the lower, uh, lower end of the table teams who... Yes, they do play on the break, but they haven't really got the quality to do it. But when someone like Kane drops into midfield and can play Son around him, I mean, we've seen it happen before. He just, he can't get near it. But I think at the moment, he's probably, he's he's up there with players that you just would like to see play a few games. But I just wonder if, if Fernandino will get the game on Saturday just yeah. because. Um, and it, the other thing's Walker. Uh, I think he's been so unlucky he had a great start to the season and Cancelo's come in and become just astonishingly good. Uh, we've seen glimpses of it when he's played on the left, but playing on the right and he ends up playing on the left sometimes, you can't drop him. So I kind of feel for Walker at the moment that, that he's not really done anything wrong. He just went out of the team at the wrong time and now he's really going to struggle to get back in. I'm not wondering whether Walker could, play left back because I, I, I don't think Maybe. we should be accommodating Walker playing at right back with Cancelo at left back yeah. because he's playing so good from that I, right I think, side I think the issue is like you say Zinchenko gives us the balance because yeah. Cancelo is so dynamic and he's all over the place that Zinchenko has the same ability but 
and also he's left footed. He gives us that balance, and yeah. we struggle when we've not got a left footed fullback. I think God, we're desperate for a left back, aren't I, we? I really think that Cancelo could be a, an answer in the Champions League. I don't think there's many players like him, and he almost plays in like a cheat code role where, yes, he's playing right fullback, but he's going to end up on the left hand side of the box, and there'll be teams <laughs> in Europe who don't play against uh, players like that, and. The only other team that I've seen do what we're trying to do, or we probably did it first, but uh, Borussia Dortmund have been doing it. If anyone's seen Guerrero for Dortmund, he plays the same position as Cancelo, where, and, and he's also Portuguese, which says a lot, where, yes, he's playing fullback, but he's, he's like an inverted winger. So, yeah, exciting anyway to have Cancelo in this kind of form. I think this Saturday, it's, it's an easy decision for Pep to make because, you know, with Walker coming back, He's not going to be able to do, play the full 90 anyway. So it's basically, you know, whoever he picks, if, if even if Cancelo sits out, he's not going to see his backside because he'll appreciate the fact that Kyle Walker needs minutes and he's not going to play the full, you know, 90 and it could well be a swap after 50. Uh, or, you know, conversely, it could be the other way around where Cancelo is just told at the start of the game, look, you've got 60 minutes today, just run your heart out for 60 and I'm going to bring in Kyle on. And a big factor for me too is, Kyle Walker scored that screamer against Sheffield United last season and his whole family are Blades fans. So not that, you know, he's lacking in motivation anyway, but um, that's always an extra incentive, isn't it? So um, looking at the actual opposition itself, Adam, does the fact that the Blades won at Old Trafford make this game a bit harder for City because they were really in the doldrums before they went there, weren't they? Uh, yes and no. The They've obviously found a little bit of form and that's a a huge win um they're not great on the road as it is Sheffield I mean they've just not been great at all for a whole year but that's a win that they wouldn't have ex- ex- wouldn't have expected however on the flip side yes they've they've probably picked up a bit of confidence they didn't need to beat us or united really that they'd be two games that they're looking at going if we can get a point out of those two games brilliant yeah they've they've got three the pressure's well and truly off, and it's a free hit for them, I think, on Saturday, which almost plays into our hands a little bit. Um, they're going to defend. They're going to be really hard to break down, but I think in the with the form that we're in anyway, um, I, I'm, I'm not worried at the moment. I will be on the day, but... <laughs> okay, what, what's, um, what's your score prediction? How do you think it'll pan out? I think it'll be really tight. Uh, 1-0, 2-0 tops. Hope I'm wrong, but I think it's going to be scrappy. But just get it done and get out. Well, Jordan, the three fixtures between these sides in recent seasons, United have yet to score, but all three have been difficult. Um, so, w- would you take a hard fought one nil at this point? Um, yeah, if I, if we were guaranteed the three points, I'm not sure about how I'd feel sitting there in 75 minutes. <laughs> in. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think Sheffield United this season have hardly conceded any goals. They just don't score many. Uh, the hope for us is that they've run themselves into the ground against United and they're, you know, they're not going to get much of a rest against us because we'll just pass it around them all day until we find the right opening. Um, you know, that their 2-1 win, which although will have lifted their mood significantly, um, will have been a lot more difficult and uh, hard on the bodies than our 5-0 win against West Brom, that's for sure. And we've got the biggest squad. So in theory, I, I sh- I'm not too worried about it yet. Um, and I hope Kian Bryan doesn't score against us because that was that was a nice little uh, moment <laughs> for us as well. Yeah. Not just United losing, but to have him score against them. Um, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd take a one nil, but I, I can see it being two or three. To be honest, uh, just the way we're playing at the moment, I, I feel way more optimistic with with how things are going. And people who listen to me regularly will will know that I'm I'm a quite a pessimistic fan generally, <laughs> but I, I feel pretty good about it. I have to say, um, I, I do feel Cancelo's key to everything. I really do. Um, we've gone from looking like a stale attacking outfit, short of ideas, to someone to a team who is pretty unpredictable. And I think it mainly comes down to the fact that he could pop up on the overlap or he could just drive through midfield like his prime Yaya Torre. Um, he's so good. He's so good. <laughs> I don't know where it's come from. Sorry, I know we've actually moved on from Cancelo, but no, just no. thinking about how he's playing at the moment just makes me excited. I think um, I think Gundogan as well. Yeah, uh, I know yeah. we've yeah. waxed yeah. lyrical about him for weeks, but uh, I think without De Bruyne... Gundogan comes into his own even more because he gets that free role and him between him Bernardo Silva and I'd probably throw Foden into there the opposition team does not have a clue where they're playing and to be quite honest I don't think they do at the best of times but they've got that freedom backed up by Rodri who's playing that that overseeing role and then yeah it's it's really exciting and it's good to know that yeah our best player isn't isn't in the squad and he's he's injured, but I don't think De Bruyne has had a great season anyway. Yeah, um, no, so yeah. so I I think that him being out at the moment has come. At, well, it's never going to come at a good time, but it's come at as good a time as it can. Well, I was going to say the exact same thing, not only from De Bruyne's perspective, but also the fact that we've got these three or four players who are really coming to the fore now and really kind of, um, you know, grasping the nettle. So, yeah, you'd never obviously choose any time for Kevin De Bruyne to be injured, but were he to miss four or five weeks of a season, you would pretty much pick this time. So, uh, in that regard, we've been fortunate. Um, with United going to, with Sheffield United, sorry, with Manchester United going to Arsenal a few hours later, how important, Adam, is it to further press home our advantage at the top and really put pressure on the rest around us? Must win, but I'd probably say that um, every game of the last, is it six, where we've played teams lower down, yeah. we have we, ha- we had to win every single one because it gives us a lift and we know that other teams are playing each other and we're going into a, a really tricky period. So it, I think it was key that we won every single game and it gives us a little bit of leeway as well that yes, we've got Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, United coming up. We probably need to win two or three of them and not drop drop many points at all. But uh, with everybody beating everybody else at the moment, it's it's pivotal that this weekend is another a must win. We we cannot drop points against Sheffield United, and that is no disrespect to them. But we've dropped enough points to West Brom and West Ham and and those kind of teams this season. We can't can't carry it on. Um, and teams are becoming a bit bit scared of us again, which is great yeah. because we are just knocking these teams over. Linking to that as well, I think I think the key thing for us is momentum, and we've seen yeah. it this season so much where there's a different narrative every week who who about who's going to win it. And although I'm really pleased with how things are going at the moment, it only takes a week or two, and all of a sudden, yeah, oh, yeah. The, the whole narrative shifts. Um, God, yeah. Imagine, imagine we do drop points and then we drop points against Liverpool. It and then Liverpool United beat Arsenal in. as well it, and all of a sudden they're, they're top. Liverpool, for me, are still are still well in it. Really, oh, really definitely. It. And definitely. If, they, if they beat us, they're, they're not just in it. They, they go, well, they'll probably be top at that point. So, 
yeah, it's mad. We we have to just keep winning games. But don't forget in was it eighteen nineteen where we went and just won. Was it fourteen or something? Yeah, last row. fourteen we won. Yeah, we've got to do that now. We've got to do it at this part of the season and just drop teams out. We we've now got a chance to drop United out, drop Liverpool out, and drop Spurs out of the picture. But we have to win all of our games. So yeah, and to do so psychologically as well. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah, because if we do kind of you know stretch into a lead. Um, there's inevitably going to be a little bit of fatigue from the opposition, from rivals thinking, ah, they've, they've got it. You know, it, 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 we saw it with Liverpool last season. Um, it got to a certain point where, I'm not saying the City players gave up on, on the hope of, of winning the league, but they knew it was it was beyond them, really. Um, and they were spent after what they put in the last two years. So if we can do that to other teams, particularly Liverpool, um, yeah, that would be psychologically very important. I mean, you mentioned that, Jordan, about how things are changing so quickly in this season. I had to do a preview of um, Arsenal United, and I looked into it, and I saw that you know Arsenal were kind of changed things round from Boxing Day when they beat Chelsea. So I thought, I wonder what what else happened around that. I could find a little angle with that, and and sure enough, I did because on Boxing Day or you know, Christmas morning, as I put it, the league table completely different to how it is now. I mean, it, all the narratives were completely different. We were eighth. In eighth place, and basically, I remember us just saying, "Oh, let's hope we just get top four at least." Uh, Liverpool were running away with it, looking imperious. They just thrashed Crystal Palace seven nil. Um, Arsenal were, were four points above the bottom three and completely in crisis. Newcastle were flying. <laughs> it's a Don't month ago. Yeah, no, they, they were tenth, <laughs> and, and and the fans were saying, "Okay, we're not getting the performances. We're a bit dull, but you know, he's getting a result at least." I think they won them. Um, so like three out of the previous four going up to Christmas. Um, it was a month ago. That's all it was, just a month ago. So I completely agree with what you're saying, lads. Just, you know, get win after win after win, stretch out into a lead. Um, and in a season like this season, I think that could be absolutely crucial. Um, okay, let's look at a different aspect of this. Um, again, this weekend, we can expect to see a forwardless formation from Pep. Um, and it's just success after success with it. I mean, it's working a treat. Adam, can you see kind of Sergio and Jesus struggle to establish themselves as first team starters once fully fit due to the success of this kind of, you know, false nine formation we're playing? I think Jesus has almost played himself out of the team Mm. Uh, at the same time. uh, I'm a big fan of his and when he's in form, everything goes in, but he's, he's a massive confidence player. I think Jesus and, you even saw the other night when he came on in a game that was won, he was trying everything and sometimes I think just trying too hard to get on the ball and coming well too deep, going way too wide and just not really fitting in. Um, I think he'll struggle, but a fully fit Aguero for me, we've seen some of the chances. Yeah, yes, we've been scoring again, mm. but there, were, there was even chances in the week against West Brom where we just needed a striker on the end of it and that is Aguero. But the question still hangs over Aguero with can he get himself fit enough this season? We've seen him come back from injury and struggle. Uh, his COVID issues will put him back again. So at the moment, neither of them get in the team because it's working, but we are going to need them. We're going to need both of them at some point this season and definitely in the Champions League. Um, we saw last year that when we didn't have a plan B, things just didn't work. So we need Jesus scoring and the only way he's going to score is playing, but he's had chances and just not come good. So I'm hoping that in one of these games coming up, 
Jesus can come on or start and score a couple of goals, and that should set him off again. Yeah. Um, I am excited about Aguero coming back, if he does properly. Um, I think we we just need him. Uh, there's some games where we find teams tough to break down, and he's a player who, yes, he gets on the end of a lot of things, but he's also a player that can make something out of nothing. So, um, yes and no is my answer. Uh, this, this formation at the moment is great. It's just not going to work forever. We're going to need to change it up, and we're going to need a striker in some games. Well, fair enough. I'll go along with that. It's um, regarding Sergio though, and and the fact that he may not be absolutely, you know, firing on all cylinders throughout the season, which is a distinct possibility. Um, Jordan, this feels like blasphemy to even for me to even suggest this, but might he become an impact sub in the months to come? I mean, I'm sure he's going to be eased back into it. He's not going to be starting as soon as he's ready to come back. Um, sounds like he's had some symptoms of COVID as well. Um, so it will take him a, a little while to get up to speed. I think the thing for me is if the wingers were firing and scoring goals and almost replacing the need for a forward in the same way that Salah and Mane typically do for Liverpool yeah. with Firmino, yeah. I'd be saying this system works now and we have to find, even in future, a striker who is happy to sort of chip in with a few goals but know that his main priority isn't necessarily scoring it's also helping the team to score goals in, in other ways um that's just not happening with us sterling and mares i was really pleased to see them get on the score sheet against west brom but for me they've both been very underwhelming this season uh particularly in the output so i think raheem is better with a striker occupying yeah. space in the box because it allows him to sort of ghost into the back post as well and pick up those tappings that he was doing so much when we had sane and aguero leading the line um, so I, I think it is really important that, like Adam says, we, we get Sergio back fit and starting as soon as possible, really, because although it's working at the moment, our source of goals is really irregular in the sense that you don't know who's going to score. When you look at our lineup, when it's, when it comes out, you're not thinking, okay, Phil's going to pick up two goals this game or Riyadh's going to pick up two goals this game uh, and win us the game. You know, you look at the derby, John Stone scoring, um, Gundogan scoring two goals. I don't think this is really sustainable the way it's currently going. And I hope it is because it's great the way that it is. But, you know, we've got Jao Cancelo scoring as well. What we really need is a recognised striker to, in the games that are tight, like Adam says, when it's not necessarily working and it's all looking a bit flat, just to either take a, even a half chance, which Aguero is capable of doing, or creating something out of nothing. And that that is my major concern with the rest of the season. I'm really content with the defence. I think the midfield's working really well, even without De Bruyne. But I look at that forward line and I'm I'm just uninspired. Really? And I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm wrong to I, be. I, but I, I, I think I, I agree. Okay. I think I yeah. agree. When when you look at Sterling, Aguero, Sane, no one was getting near us. We, those three were scoring goals for fun and you knew they were going to score the goals. It's great that everyone's chipping in. But, I I think you're right with Sterling. I'd probably say the same about Mares. When they've got a striker to aim at and somebody who's going to pick up the loose balls that they put in and also the other way around, the much more effective Sterling especially, he really struggles when you even saw the other night, he's getting to the byline and he's putting the ball across. There's nobody near him and it makes his output look bad. And he hasn't been great this season, but it just doesn't help, I don't think. So I yeah. think, I think, I think also because... Um, 
the way Sterling scored the majority of his goals, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way at all because it, it's a great trait to have, but he found a lot of space in the box. Yeah. But the fact is, the way we're playing at the moment, the opposition centre-backs are just totally um, free to pick people up because they don't have that diminutive striker in the box that they need to worry about. So that they just all they need to do is focus on closing the space um, rather than actually marking a man. Aguero would drag them out of place. He'd, he'd yeah, stand back for the uh, cutback, he'd uh, run uh, near post, and then all of a sudden this space would emerge for Sterling at the back post. And that's if you look if you watch our 17-18 season, that's how Sterling scored the majority of his goals. Um mm. I, I do think it's really hurting Raz because then a lot more focus gets put on his uh sort of general link up play, which for me isn't his his main um his main strength. It's his score it's his goal scoring and I think he's only scored six goals in the league this season which by his standards isn't isn't good enough um but I do have sympathy for him because he is almost our main focal point isn't he him and Foden when they play and they're just not strikers no I I, I personally love it I absolutely love it I, <laughs> I completely agree that it's not sustainable um but I hope that this is sustained for as long as as humanly possible because it's revolutionary and Pep is buzzing off it. You can see that Pep is loving this. This is his dream. He's got a team of midfielders at last. <laughs> his yeah, reaction true. to the fifth goal was great as well. That yeah. was great. That's the happiest I've seen him for years, like yeah. literally years. And I, I said this on Twitter the other day, and I'll stand by it. His press conference before the Cheltenham game is where it seemed that the Pep of 2018 was back. Yeah. And yeah. he he looks at the minute like he's enjoying his job again because we've said for the last year he's looked a bit lost and a little bit um just a little bit down and obviously he lost his mum in really sad circumstances and wasn't able to be with her and that'll do anyone in but yeah. he just didn't look like he was enjoying his job and that is not something you'd expect from Pep. Um so I really hope that he's enjoying himself again because it does come across like his celebration for that goal. We've not seen that for a long time. Yeah. And and those quotes he made before Cheltenham, which is obviously what you're alluding to, of course, about kind of how everyone started out in the lower leagues, everyone started out in changing rooms, got changed in bars and all the rest of it. That that kind of section of that interview, oh my God, I love that so much. And I hope that goes down as, you know, one of the great manager interviews, basically, because it deserves to. It's it's wonderful to hear that. It's wonderful to hear a Premier League manager recognise that as well and, and the passion that he spoke with. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I'm loving a lot of things about City right now, I've got to be honest, and, and one of them is this forwardless formation. But yeah, I, I think we can all settle on the fact that any team in the world is going to be stronger with Sergio Aguero fit and available for, to play in it. Um Right, let's look at a different thing altogether here. Um, talking about Aguero and his injury, I've asked a couple of times on the pod recently about the chances of City bringing in the striker, and as in Dzeko, let's say. It's not going to happen. You know, City aren't going to sign anyone this January, but the same could be said for virtually every other club. Um, Brexit is complicated, transfers hugely, as too, of course, is COVID and you know the limitations on travel. So we've seen three transfers made in the Premier League so far in this transfer window, which is, you know, it's been open now, long now, three weeks, is it? Um, and those three players, I mean, the highest profile one is Robert Snodgrass. What's going on? Do you, do you think this could kind of seep into next summer as well and for there to be hardly any signings? Because looking into it, Brexit is really going to complicate matters. I think players need to reach a 15-point target 
um, if they're coming in from overseas. And to to reach that 15-point target, they have to be an established international. So, you know, we're not going to see any more Teamboat Pookies coming over for some time to come. Um, so looking at the Premier League in general, say, Jordan, do you think basically the next year or two, the whole transfer model in, in Britain is going to change? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an unknown, isn't it, with how Brexit is actually going to go and how the response to, to COVID is going to go and how effective the vaccine is and so on and so on. It's it's, it's a really difficult time to predict what's happening. I, I should say it is my literal job to report sports news and I keep forgetting that it's the transfer window. Yeah, it's yeah, been so quiet. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you, you said it's been three weeks. It, it's been, it's the 29th of January. You know, it's basically been the whole the whole of the window, and yeah. nothing's happened. Um, even when I'm seeing Jacko linked to City, I'm not actually thinking, "Is this going to happen this month?" Because I keep forgetting that it's the transfer window. Um, it, it's just really difficult to tell how it's going to go. I don't think City and big clubs are going to have much of a problem with it, um, and City in particular have clearly got this CFG system where if they want to sign players who are relatively unknown, they can then farm them out to uh, Girona or somewhere else um, without them actually having to step foot in England. Um, It's just really, I I think at the moment for a lot of clubs, they're way more concerned with their finances uh, than signing players. And they've got to keep that in mind. You know, we saw so many clubs play staff on furlough um, when when the pandemic first broke out and there was a massive backlash to that and i think what we need to remember is that when clubs are saying that they can't pay the wages of kitchen staff for example and are then seen <clears throat> excuse me and are then seen to be spending millions of pounds on you know let's be honest gambles that's mm. what it is you don't, you don't know what they're going to perform like we, we've seen many a million wasted in the Premier League over the years. Um, it doesn't look good. It's a really bad look. Um, so in that respect, I think clubs are more reluctant to to part with money. Um, and also the fact that, you know, where, where do you start here? I, I don't think you can actually go and watch players at the moment because of the restrictions. So if a manager wanted to go and have a look at a player themselves, um, I think it's way more difficult to go and just scout them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's so many barriers at the moment to jump through. I think it's just the last thing on most clubs' mind at the moment. You know, teams don't typically like operating in January anyway, and I'm sure there'll be way more business done in the summer. Um, But it just doesn't seem the time in terms of the market to buy players, and it also doesn't seem the time in terms of actually establishing who's going to benefit your squad, because you can't go and watch them. You can't meet up, you can't have a chat with their agent or anything like that in person. Um, it's, it's a really difficult time, and a lot of this stuff does matter. Yeah, okay. Adam, I'm going to throw across some negatives to you, and then kind of ask you about a positive, um, seeing as though this is upbeat Adam today. <laughs> so, uh, some negatives. Clubs in Holland, Portugal, France, Belgium... A lot of them have sustainable business models based around basically developing players and selling them onto British clubs. That's not going to happen anymore, or certainly significantly less so than, than before. So they're going to kind of suffer as a consequence. British talent is going to be at an absolute premium. I mean, you think of kind of um, the fees paid for John Stones and Harry Maguire in recent years. You can double that theoretically in a couple of years' time because of you know their nationality. Um, so moving from one English club to another. Um, 
Clubs can no longer sign foreign players under the age of 18 uh, and are limited to the amount of three, I think, for under 21s. Um, so all of these are certainly negatives. One possible positive is that this will encourage British clubs to develop their own and bring through British players and give them game time. Can you see that latter one happening? No idea. Um, genuinely, I've, I've had a look at what's been going on in other countries and things like that, and mm. I have no idea how this plays out. No one knows. That's the thing. We're speculating. It's, yeah, it's, it's bizarre, and yes, a lot of it is to do with Brexit, but I think, as Jordan was speaking about, a lot of it is to do with COVID and the yeah. impact that that's had on finances. Clubs don't have as much money as they did uh, 18 months ago. That's just a fact. They don't have as much disposable income. They're not getting uh, half. Some some clubs are, are losing like half their profits. So it's it's a strange time. Um, I've no idea what, what shape City are in, in that regard. Uh, they seem to do things uh, quite well uh, financially. So I'm sure we'll find out in summer when the big transfers come through. But the other thing is, there's not a lot of players available in January, full stop. Um, the the availability of good players this stage of the season is rare. I think if you look back at the last few years, Fernandez went to United last year. We saw Van Dijk go to Liverpool. Uh, Laporte, we signed in January. Is that right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but other than that, the few and far between anyway, um, I think summer we will see what, what impact both have had. I think with regards to English talent, um, I think we're already seeing in some clubs, even the the higher end of clubs are, are bringing through English players because they've not got much other choice. There's, If you look at Liverpool, two centre-halves, Williams and Phillips, that have been playing recently, mm. with no disrespect to them, there's no way they get in that team if it's an, a normal scenario. Yeah. Um, yes, they've got players injured, but and I don't know the way that Liverpool's finances work, but surely if they wanted to, they could have dipped into the market, picked up a player on loan or picked up a player on a short-term deal that would have helped them through because they're currently playing a player who wasn't getting in the under-23 squad in the first team against Tottenham. So things are very different at the moment. Um, it's just a strange scenario. And I, I almost wonder how aware are clubs, how much do clubs know about what's about to happen? And are clubs waiting for other clubs to go first and see what happens? But I think that summer is going to be the one where we see what impact it's had because there's a couple of players that City are desperate for. Can we get them in this current climate? I'm I'm not sure, but we'll soon see. Yeah. Can I just say as well, Steve, um, I won't be devastated that we can't sign kids from Spain anymore because they just want to go back to Real Madrid or Barcelona <laughs> anyway. So if we, if we could start producing more English players, yeah. I'm not suggesting Phil's going to be the benchmark, but yeah, I'm a bit fed up of us signing <laughs> players from Spain and then just seeing them go back to Barcelona at any point. No, not naming names. Well, I, think, I mean, as we said earlier, no one knows yeah. what's going on. And certainly in this window, I can't really see anything happening beyond a couple more loan moves. And that's it, really, at most. In the summer, I can't see things changing that much. And I think it's going to be a really, really quiet summer. I mean, it was notable that Les Ferdinand, who's um, one of the directors now, isn't it, QPR, um, said that nobody in the championship knows what the rules are right now. <laughs> Brilliant. So, but they are just essentially just waiting for, as you said, Adam, wait for someone else to go, see how that goes, how that pans out, <laughs> and then follow suit. But no one's taking the lead. Um, 
Okay, there's another aspect that I really um, want to talk about today. Uh, something I've I started to feel the past week or two. Uh, I think you've mentioned it in the past, Adam, as well. I'm starting to get, and I love football. It's my job, and you know I can watch it 24-7 usually, but not 24-7, 24-7, 24-7. It just feels like there's wall-to-wall games on at the moment, and I'm starting to feel a bit of football fatigue. Um, let's start with you, Adam. Are you feeling the same way? Um currently actually enjoying watching city yeah um so less less so than i did i I think in that first lockdown period you know when football came back and it was it was on at weird times and i i didn't enjoy it then i'm going to be honest i've enjoyed it more at the moment because the football is better i think the actual quality of football across the the league is a lot better than it was six months ago i don't don't know the reasons for that uh, I just have enjoyed that more, but I still have no appetite to watch Burnley against uh, Brighton, and I've no appetite to watch any of that. The only games I'm really watching are City, and then um, the the other bigger games, the the more attractive games that have on on average been rubbish. Um, I'm I'm not totally fatigued by it. The one thing that I do struggle with is the stupid times that the games are on. Yeah, I, there's two times that just aren't canon and should not be there. One is six o'clock on a, on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Nope. Bin. I haven't even finished work. I, I can't be bothered. No. And the other one is half seven on a Sunday. PM. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't want a half nine full time on a Sunday when I'm just trying to chill out. And then I'm watching city scramble to a win against whoever we're playing. Um, otherwise we've got a three o'clock kickoff this weekend, which is bizarre. So I'm really going to enjoy that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It, whilst we're winning, I'm not fatigued. Once we start to turn a bad corner again, ask me then. Okay, fair enough. And you, you um, noticed just before we went out on air as well that there's been an FA Cup rescheduling, isn't it, for City? Is it quarter past five kickoff? Uh, yeah, quarter pa- uh, half past five kickoff half past five. On, on a Wednesday night in the FA wow. Cup. The magic of the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, most people want to finish work then. It, it's ludicrous. Um, Jordan, I mean, in your job, you have to watch a lot of Scottish football as well. When was the last day that went, went by where you didn't watch a game of football? <laughs> yeah, I think as Adam says, um, when we're winning, it's a lot easier to not be fatigued with it all. Um, but I think it's also the way that we're playing at the moment, um, which sort of inspires me to watch football. Yeah. You know, a, a while ago, we were beating the likes of Fulham 2-0 at home. And even though we were winning, I wasn't particularly interested. It's the fact that there's a bit more excitement about us. In, in terms of when I last wa- didn't watch a game, I don't have a clue. Um, it, it's just constant football. And although I say I'm not fatigued, I did have to watch St. Johnson against Aberdeen the other night. And it was one of the most boring matches I have <laughs> ever watched. It just got to the point where I just didn't want there to be anything that happened because I had my match report written by half time and it basically didn't say anything. Uh, it, it was just so drab. And I, I think we're all aware at the moment that football is not essential in the sense that, you know, in the basic meaning of the word essential, it is there purely for our entertainment. It is there to stop us getting bored constantly. Um, and, you know, some might say it, it's not really, really done too much for that. Um, I am glad to have it there, but as Adam says, you know, the, the likes of Burnley against Brighton and Aston Villa against Newcastle, I just don't really have any 
any desire to really watch it. And I was saying to someone recently, and this is a, this is weird for me to say because I wasn't much of a boxing fan before the pandemic, but I find myself enjoying watching boxing more than I enjoy watching football at the right. moment. Um, Rory Smith wrote a really good article in the New York Times about the the loss of the match day. And I think it comes down to the fact that with football, because it's on so const- like so regularly, um, you don't really have time to get excited. You don't yeah, really have true. time for tension to build. You know, we've spoken earlier in the pod about four days between matches being quite a long time. With boxing, you, you get months of trash talking and it all builds up to that <laughs> one moment um, where someone can get knocked out within 20 seconds. Um, with football, I just don't really feel that uncertainty is there. It's just, you don't have time to dwell on any of the results. It's just constant football, football. And everything just feels like that Mitchell and Webb sketch look about (laughs) um, watch the football. It's going to move every kick of it mattering somewhere to someone, presumably. You know, it's just constant and it's all come true. Um, There's just too much of it. And the weird kickoff times, as Adam says, it's, it's just... I, I find myself forgetting when City are actually playing. I'm putting on our group chat. Are we playing yeah. tonight? I, that happened against West Brom. I didn't even realise because I don't have time. I'm, you know, I'm working. I'm, I'm trying to reflect on the last result, and then all of a sudden we're playing again. It's just constant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I know I started this answer by saying I'm not that fatigued, but now I feel like I've made myself fatigued by thinking about it. Well, I, I just wish there was trash talk in football. I wish there was a good gap between games and there's a significant <laughs> amount of time for, for Pep to really trash talk whoever we were coming up against. That would be magnificent. A weigh-in between Big Sam and Pep before the West Brom oh, game might have made it a bit more interesting. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> um, well, there's a fixture this weekend where there could have been trash talk in the past, certainly, between the, the captains in particular. Um, now it seems to be a lot more of a tepid affair, Arsenal v Manchester United. Or maybe not, Arsenal are on the up. Um, United are challenging for the league, um, even after their disappointing get, uh, result midweek. <laughs> um, right, who gets the United question? Who's going to volunteer for the United question? I'll, I'll do it. Adam, have you seen the question? Uh, do you know what? I can't remember it. Go on. Right. Well, it's, you don't have to be positive about United, but let's say this is a leading question for you to be positive about United. Oh, God. Solskjaer's men last lost away from home in the league over a year ago at Anfield. Now, to me, this is a highly impressive record. Um, do they get the credit they deserve for this record? I mean, if City hadn't lost away from home for over a year, you'd expect people to be mentioning it, and no one really is about United. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. In, in fairness, in, in fairness, I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that there's so much going on that people kind of forget these records and yeah. even like look at our mad clean sheet stuff. There's so much more that's going on that you you do kind of forget, and it's weird because if United hadn't lost all these games at home that they should never lose, then people probably would think about it a little bit more. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, it's it's a ridiculous record and I can't really see Arsenal changing it. I know that Arsenal have been good and we're the only team to concede fewer goals and all that sort of stuff this year. Um, Arsenal have got a massive cock up in them and so have United. United got that out of the way, I think, in midweek. Um, Arsenal defensively, I know that they're not conceding as many goals, but they've definitely got just this silly, silly moment in them. And I think United will probably have a little bit too much. Uh, I'm hoping for a very dull draw, to be quite honest, if I can't pick an Arsenal win. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, they, United have been really good for for a long time. But the thing that they struggle with is they look really good for a couple of weeks, play a rubbish, not not rubbish, that's very, very mean, okay, a rubbish team and lose. <laughs> so that's where they're, they're struggling to, to get over the line, I think. They they look good in spells, but they're a bit patchy. They're, um, they're streaky, aren't they? They always are. Yeah, yeah. And, and they won a lot of games that they should never have won as well. Um and kind of got away with one, and it always looks better on the record. But they've been good, and they're, they're going to be one of the challengers this year, of which you could probably put three there, us, them, and Liverpool probably. So mm. they've done well to, to put themselves back into that picture. But I, I do think they're, they're overly reliant on a couple of players, and without them, they they would be absolutely nowhere near. That's a fair point. And I think, as we said earlier about kind of our forwardless formation not being sustainable, um, certainly with United, their kind of comebacks and, and you know, they, they keep conceding in the first 20 minutes. It's ludicrous the amount of times. I think it's well over a quarter of the games they played this year they've conceded in the first 20 minutes. So they, they start slow. And if you start slow every week, you, you're just making problems for yourself. Um, okay, what about Arsenal then, Jordan? Just to end... Um, today on the Gunners, six games unbeaten. I mean, it's a lot of credit, I think, considering that everyone had written them off. I mean, the, the nation was talking about how Arsenal now were in crisis. Arteta was you know, heading towards the exit door. Um, has he proven his doubt is wrong, Mikel? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the critics were, were harsh in the first place because they forgot what he'd done in his first season there. You know, he'd come to a club yeah. that, that was struggling and he, he'd... Let's be honest, outplayed us totally in the FA Cup semi-final and won the FA Cup. So he deserved a lot of credit for that. Um, He's got them playing a completely different way. And I I think, in a sense, their struggles were very similar to ours in the sense that not only were they not quite getting the results that they wanted, maybe that's a bit of an understatement, but certainly that was the case with us, but the football was boring. It was really, really poor yeah, to watch. Was. They couldn't create anything. Their metrics for the whole league, they were they were bottom of every sort of chance creation and anything like that. They were around the bottom of the league. Um, and I think, like us, it's just sort of clicked. That, that Chelsea win for them, similarly to us probably, you know, our win at Chelsea has uh, given us a renewed sense of optimism. Um, but they, they, they beat Chelsea, I think it was 3-1 at home. I want to say, although Jorginho well, missed a penalty yeah. in the last minute, I feel like it was that game. Um, and then they've gone on a little run and they've got a lot of players to be optimistic about in the future. I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe Smith looks a very good player. Yeah, Kaio Saka we know all oh, about. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got Odegaard on loan. I'm excited to see what he can do. There, there are players there who are capable of, you know, that they could easily be a top six side. I, I don't know... <laughs> if if people are peddling a narrative that they don't have the players there to to be capable of of getting top six, but you know you look at the keeper Leno, very good left back Tierney, fantastic. Okay, Bellerin is blows hot and cold, and the centre backs are an issue. But Saka, Smith Rowe coming through, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Erdegaard, Pepe, they signed for about sixty odd million. There's talent there. Martinelli as well. I'm a big fan. Yeah, of there's, there's yeah. plenty of talent there. Um, so. I, I think they should be still doing better than what they're currently doing. Obviously, they're on a good run, so they can't really be doing too much better than they're currently doing. But you know what I mean? In the sense of the whole season, they're underperforming. Um, Scream, screams I, to me the weekend game that it's a game that Arsenal just don't win. Yeah, And I don't I don't know why that is, but you look at it on paper and I just think uh, Arsenal will probably lose that 2-1. 
I, don't I was going to say 2-1. I've, I've had a feeling all week it's going to be 2-1. I don't know why. And it's it's like Jordan said, what Arteta's done kind of goes under the radar. Um, he's built a, a pretty solid team and there's a lot of talent in it. There's just some glaringly obvious issues within it. Uh, Erdegaard is really exciting because he's a free hit of a player where if it doesn't work, never mind. But if it does, they've it's a very shrewd move. Um, Lacazette's come back into some form. Saka looks ridiculous. Uh, there is the talent, but whether they, they can actually win some of these big games, and I know that Chelsea was a bit of a big game, but we've seen that they can be extremely patchy. So if if they can beat United, then they'll be thinking, do you know what? Let's have a run at the top four. So it's it's quite an interesting game. It's It's one that I'm almost looking forward to watching. It is. It's a big game, and it's one I'll, I'll, I'm going to enjoy unless United kind of romp into an early kind of two-goal lead or something. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think with Arsenal, it's one of those rare occasions where I thought, you know what, I think I know more about football than Mikel Arteta. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have said all season long, just play the Europa League kids. You know, you will. You when when they were in the Europa League, they've looked brilliant this season. Oh, and they've looked entertaining. They've looked adventurous, creative. And then two or three days later, they play in the league with their established kind of you know first teamers, and and they look garbage. It's because their established first teamers uh, just give up yeah. very easily. Yeah, they've they've got players in there who who I always look watch and just think they're so passive. Yeah, they they don't seem like they're that bothered. Um. But the the young players have done very well, and it's not like they're throwing youth in just for the sake of it. The good players, Smith Rowe looks a hell of a talent, yeah. uh, and we know about Saka. Saka is Saka is one of those players who every week he he produces something anywhere and, across the pitch as well. And you don't think about it anymore. You don't think that's weird or mm. wow. Have you seen this player? It's just oh yeah, Saka's at it again. Great. So fair yeah. play. It's, uh, with Saka and Foden, the future for England looks astonishingly good, I think. Yeah. Uh, assuming you've got the right manager in charge, which I don't believe you do, but uh, that's another topic for another day. Um, time to, to wrap things up, lads. Thank you very much for joining me today, Adam. No, thank you. It's been it's been nice. Thank you, mate. And thank you very much, Jordan. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. And cheers for listening, everyone. It's always appreciated. Um, that's a wrap for today, folks. Stay tuned for a re- review pod due out either on Sunday or Monday, depending on how the hangover is for the lads. Uh, and please check out all the other great content on the 9320 platform. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, everyone, and forever up the blues. <laughs>